podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This show is brought to you in association with Labbooks. Just click the link on the description to the show, sign up and get a free bet up to £50 when you enter the promo code LAD50. Go on, do it. If I had the wings of a sparrow and a dirty great ass of a crow, I'd fly over your team tomorrow and shit on the bastards below. Sorry, I don't know where I am or what I'm doing. Sometimes I lose myself. You'd never know what I do for a living. My name's Eddie Nestor and I'm here for the Manchester United Redcast, celebrating the best, though, at the moment, maybe the most boring team in the world. Uh, with me is a man who's never been called boring. <laughs> Not to his face. Anyway, Robert Meekin, how are you, mate? Well, I've just had a doze. I've just rewatched the Leicester game, but yeah, I'm just coming round, so give us a couple of minutes. Uh, well, you say that. I mean, look, let, let, let's talk about that game. I mean, mm-hmm. Vardy... He did score nine to four. When I saw nine to four, I thought, oh, if it was the old days, those of you who are new to the podcast, and I know mm. lots of you are. The uh, bad old uh, days. The bad old days. Eddie Nestor, the gambler. I'm out of the bookie shop now for what? Uh, bookie shop's what we call the uh, uh, place where you lose all your money in England uh, since September 2014. Uh, so, uh, but I did see nine to four uh, on that. I saw seven to two on Tyson Fury as well, and I wanted to go for that. Goodness gracious me what a lovely goal what a simple goal yeah i know i, I, I believe actually our our former famous fullback gary neville uh, rather pointedly said manchester united used to score goals like that yeah i mean I, it, I, I, a wonderful a wonderful break ca- yeah, counter attack counter attack yeah. lovely goal yeah lovely i mean goal. look you know enough of them uh, let's talk about uh, us i mean just on vardy for a second you know the highlight of that game for me the highlight was seeing the battle Vardy versus Smalling. What yeah. a lovely, fantastic, beautiful vision. Yeah, a, a, a striker at the top of his game versus a defender, imperious looking, beautiful. Why is he not right at the heart of the England team? I mean, is there a better central defender than him? Well, uh, Smalling, no, I think Smalling right now, and I, I think Smalling is going to become just that I think as well as being at the heart of the United defence I think he'll establish that role with the national side as well he's, he's having a great he amid all the, the boredom and all the stuff we're going to talk about Smalling is a big plus this season and I, I'm delighted that we've got that foundation finally and that you know one of our young defenders has stepped up to the plate okay so let me stop you there because you and I have been uh, United supporters and certainly on this podcast long enough uh, to have discussed many times uh, you know good goalkeeper we've got a fantastic goalkeeper yeah. uh, you know strikers will get on to but at the heart of every successful Manchester United team that I can think of in the last 20 years has been a rock solid central defence yes partnership are we going to go for stones or what i'd love to i think uh, i think we might but i've, I've got doubts that we'll get him because i think the, the well-documented bad blood with everton might might scupper us i don't know every player has his price i mean i, I think that is the that's the ideal scenario for us to get the young and young, another young englishman alongside smalling because then potentially we're looking like having the two england centre-backs for the next few years i think it'd be a great bit of business for us but i think it will be difficult to achieve whatever happens i do think that's a position that still needs to be filled we haven't as you mentioned the words partnership i think we've got a great centre-back who's come through now but we haven't got a partnership yet i don't believe blind rocco or frankly phil jones are going to be the men to fill that that other berth next to Smalling in the medium term. I do think we'll probably need to go out and do business there. 
Yeah, I mean, you talk about this blood, blood, bad blood. Isn't that where we got Rooney from? It, it, didn't they come for yeah. Phil Neville? Uh, Howard? We have done business with these fellas. So what, what's, what's the bad blood about then? I, th- I believe it goes back a lot to, to the David Moyes situation as well, that they objected the way United, they felt United were very high-handed and we simply swooped in and just presumed that we could take their manager from them. That certainly at that point, I know with the owner, Bill Kenwright, there was uh, resentment expressed against United. Then after that, if you remember, we, we of course, they got their revenge because we were trying to that Leighton Baines saga that went yes, on for far forever too long. And ever. There was that as well. We got, when I mean, we prized Fellaini away right on the, from what I would call, right sort of transfer deadline. And that again caused bitterness. Even though we, we paid them above what they're oh, yeah. asking for. I'm not sure they're so bitter about it now, frankly, but yeah, at the time. Or, or their manager. No. So, but that, I believe that's what it dates back to. Because we used to have form for literally just cherry-picking you know, players from them, dump, using them as a dumping ground, quite frankly, for some of our players who didn't quite cut the mustard. But it doesn't seem we've had such a cosy relationship in re- recent times. Maybe, say, poisoned by the, the Moyes story of a couple of years ago now yeah yeah so look you know that, that that's the happy story and mm. at the back you know De Gea continues to be absolutely oh, magnificent yeah. and magnificent and we certainly we've got uh, a smalling uh, let's go up front because right now if I said to you which one of Rooney or Vardy used to be, a, 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 I don't know, a, a pub player, uh, used mm. to be in the lower divisions. And which one would you hang your hat on? And which one would you pay money to go and see? It wouldn't be Wayne Rooney. He was appalling. He was very poor. He was very disappointing. And the worrying, the worrying you know, thing from the Rooney point of view, and I've, as you know, probably sometimes defended him too much, is that he's always gone. In, traditionally, Rooney's had these sort of these lulls, hasn't he? When he's, he's he's lost form, then he's come back with a flourish and a great series of matches. Then had another lull. Unfortunately, what's happening now is those lulls are becoming pretty much standard the whole time. You get the odd little you know blip where he actually is playing well. It's more becoming unusual for him to play well. It used to be that it was unusual those dips in form. Now it's unexpected that he's going to have a great game, and that is worrying because this sequence isn't isn't new. This has been going on for some time now, and you could trace it back to last season as well. So it's a big, big concern, I think, for, for United. Yeah, that, yeah, there, there our so-called t- talisman, yeah. we speak about him all the time, and yeah. he, he isn't he's, he's not. President. He's not. He's not. And, and the thing is that where he used to carry the team, he used to see him shouting at people, you're going to have to do yeah. it better. At all the arguments he used to watch him having with Nanny, and you've got to keep the ball, you got to... Mm. And you felt like he was saying, look, I'll do it kind of Roy Keane-esque, you know? We talked about yeah. him being a quarterback, at dropping down into midfield, being almost the best player anywhere he decided to play. Mm. Just some of his touches, some of the stuff that he was trying to pull, just... I mean, I call him a pub player, and you got really upset with me about a month or so ago and I just kept on thinking that when I was watching the game I'm sorry to say I know as I say you're his number one defender and maybe quite rightly so leading goal scorer for United leading goal scorer for Mm. England a a man who needs respect surely for his achievements in the sport but also a man who's never quite achieved what we thought he might when he sprung onto the scene for Everton when he was 17. Oh yeah I mean if you, if, we just get, if you allow me to very briefly go into fantasy land, can you imagine if we had Wayne Rooney, the player who fulfilled that potential that we saw 10 plus years ago? We'd be six, nine points ahead in the Premiership presently, but that player sadly doesn't exist. At the same time, for all the flack Rooney is getting, which is you know obviously deserved, it is for those other young players to 
seize the initiative and knock him out of the team. Well, hold on a minute. If you're paying £300,000 a week, you don't leave him out, do you? He's the club captain. I mean, even Van Hall has to understand you destabilise the Manchester United dressing room if you leave a fit Wayne Rooney out. Surely you get that. I think you do, but I think Van Hall is ruthless enough, as was Sir Alex Ferguson before, to know when, whoever you are, if you're not cutting the mustard after a while, that there, there comes a time when you have to be moved aside. You know, Ferguson was famous for it. And you, you wonder whether, whether if, if Rooney was dropped, whether he would actually benefit from it and come back firing all, on all cylinders or whether, in fact, it would mark the end of his career. Well, yeah, I wonder that. Still whether, I'm torn still whether to drop him off simply because I'm not convinced that Martial, Memphis... Lingard, Mata, Herrera, whoever you want to say, who can play in those four positions, are, as much as I like some of them, and in flashes they've been very good, none of them have been able to say, look, they're the trailblazers. We don't need Rooney, because look what these new guys are doing. They haven't done it yet. And that's the problem, really. Apart that from Mar- problem, Martial, it? I mean, I think you have to give him some... He's 19 years old, and he's certainly yes. done more than any well, of the others have done. he's got potential, of course. But right now, he's not, you know, he doesn't look... It'd be difficult to say that uh, Martial and Memphis is a combo. Forget about Rooney putting no, on the bench. No. We can trust. We can trust these two going to Stamford Bridge. Do you know what I mean? It would. We would still probably reluctantly say, "All right, Christ, let's hope he has a good day." We'd probably put Rooney in at the ten still. Well, that, but that's say, what worries me. You know, we we we've got Memphis to pay, right? And uh, yeah. you would have thought he would have been an upgrade on a Chicharito, and yeah. I can't say that he is. No, I don't. I mean, so far, he's, I mean, he showed, I mean, he shows flashes, that lovely goal he scored against Watford. There's obviously a huge amount of technical ability there, but there's plenty of players you could say that about. You know, Jermaine Defoe had great technical ability. Yeah, and had great on-touches, scored the odd goal. But Why did we the, never buy him, anyway? No, he was never, because we never quite trusted him. I think he, fairly or unfairly, had a reputation for being a bit flaky, I think, really. But to be honest, he probably could have done a job for us. And in terms of Memphis... I just think, yeah, there's just there's been flashes of of brilliance, but that's all all there have been really. And I, I should hasten to add, I wish we had kept Chikorito, so I think he would have been a real bonus on the bench. But Van Hal didn't fancy him. Yeah, I mean, it is an area when you look at it. We've only conceded what I think ten goals now. Yeah. I can't Which remember the last time we lost, and we're second in the Premiership. Yet yeah, you and I, are, as the two optimists, and we're probably mm. more optimistic than anybody else who does this podcast, if mm-hmm. I'm honest with you. Yeah. Most of the guests are, are, are way down below us. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's not been a happy podcast. You would have thought we were bloody Chelsea from listening to it. No, I know. And it's crazy. We're one point off the lead in the, in the premiership. And yeah, at the moment, and technically right now, have a decent chance of winning the title, it would seem. But I think you and I, if there was a gun to head, we would find that still hard to believe that Manchester United could be Premiership champions this season. And I hope to goodness they prove us wrong. But because the... Not unless something the changes, field, Robert. Not no, unless, exactly. Something needs nice. that. Because we... And in a way, so, so I don't know about you. Sometimes I say, look at your negative and try to turn your negative into a positive. And the negative is we are not scoring goals. We haven't scored goals in quite some time. We went quite a few games without scoring a goal at all. Uh, and here, here we are now, right... And we're one point off the top. So what happens when we do start scoring goals? That's what you hope. You hope this is this has officially been a bit of a sticky patch for us. You're saying we're still that close, and I'm pinning my hopes, as I said last week, on 
the, some of our new young attacking players suddenly clicking that Martial suddenly goes on a run and scores in six consecutive matches or something that, that Memphis actually does turn out to be the great young Dutch player that we were told he was that maybe Lingard who plays really well, you know, starts to put in consistent performances. Dare I say, even our much criticised captain suddenly finds finds some form. But we are relying on something like that, I think, for us to win the title. I find it hard to believe. We look like we're waiting to be beaten and found out at the minute. Yeah, I mean, pos- than- possession is the name of the game. How, how yeah. far does uh, our former right-back and captain Gary Neville think we are? I think well, Gary Neville, interestingly, is... And I think, again, being a defender, he appreciates this. He thinks the foundation of the team looks great, as in the defence and the defensive midfield aspect of it. And he's got it quite right, you know, in terms of goalkeeper defence. And you look at the, the acquisitions of Schneiderling and Schweinsteiger. He, he makes the argument that if Manchester United signed two world-class, and I mean properly world-class attacking players... He believes Manchester United would be close to the level of Barcelona. And I quote, that's, they were the very words he used. And he's just saying, but the foundation is there. They just need that touch of genius up front. And you've got a world-beating side. He may have a point because say that, because Van Hollis has been very good at putting that rigid structure in place. It makes us difficult to beat. It's that last third of the field that's making us so dispirited. I mean, is there that? player or are there those two players anybody listening to this podcast ideas are always welcome you know the two world-class players that come at a decent price because i'm sure that will be a feature too because we have spent uh, you know we've been manchester city we've spent an awful lot of money and taken a big hit uh, on people like Di maria and the Mm. like Uh, falco wasn't cheap either i know we only paid a loan fee but wages weren't cheap were they they certainly weren't and it's still I mean, you still, I still can't help mourn the fact that they, those two players didn't work because they were, they looked such fantastic acquisition for us. Of course, now Stodd's Law, Di Maria, it seems to be playing fantastically well for Paris Saint-Germain. And I don't know if that's sort of detriment to our management at Manchester United or whether he's just, he just, he's just happier playing there. But it's a great shame. I just thought that was, a, it's, I still feel it was a huge loss and we've missed a big, big trip there. You're talking about big trip. Uh, apparently, if you, depending on what you read, uh, you know, a, a certain Cristiano Ronaldo who's up mm. for a, and a big award, they're the top three players in the world yet again. Yeah. Uh, he quite fancies it, and our manager fancies him. Yeah, I mean, it seems it's, it's always very murky, isn't it, when you talk about sort of Cristiano Ronaldo and, Re- and his relationship with Real Madrid? Because, of course, a lot of it is essentially about, inevitably about money. And there's a suggestion, yet again, he's unsettled that he could be going uh, at the end end of this season. Um, but is it is it just are they are they negoti- Is it another a more a, an underground negotiation taking place? Is it trying to prize more money out of Real Madrid, or is it that he really wants to go and play for arguably Paris Saint Germain? We as Manchester United fans, and I know the Manchester Evening News, the, the Manchester paper. Certainly, I've, I've been very keen on suggesting that there, there's more and more indications that Ronaldo still fancies the idea of playing for Manchester United again. Of course, Manchester United would bite his hand off if he did want to come back next summer. It seems to me very, very hard to believe. Ronaldo played for Manchester United for a very long time. He gave a huge chunk of his career to United. And yeah, the Real Madrid, was, as we all know, was the inevitable move for him. For him to come back, I think, would be a it big call. But, but it doesn't, it doesn't make, any make any sense. We would throw any amount of money to get him back. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still playing for Real Madrid next season. But otherwise, you'd imagine Paris Saint-Germain 
would be his other option. Yeah, I think that's what, fairly well done on the podcast. I, 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 yeah. But, but you know, humble pie is something I've had to get used to eating with ice yeah. cream because I, I said Tyson Fury couldn't be the heavyweight champion of the world and that, that humble pie didn't taste nice at all. <laughs> okay. you, you know what we're arguing about before we get, and I'd like to talk about Ronaldo and number sevens, uh, just yeah. in wider sport, the greatest British uh, uh, sportsman of all time, Oh, Andy Murray could put a, a fairly good uh, bit in now, couldn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, he's, uh, I mean, yeah, good grief. I mean, he's, he's British again now. You notice when he wins, he's British. <laughs> when he loses, he's Scottish. For our listeners overseas, yeah, that, that's a very important distinction. <laughs> it's like... it, we've never taken to because he hasn't really got personality, has he? He's a dour Scot, no. uh, as we say. Now, let's get back to Ronaldo. Number seven was a shirt uh, that yeah. he wore, of course, Maybe even more famous than him, uh, our fam- most famous uh, number seven. Oh, was he? He was number seven, wasn't he? Uh, did, did he play number seven? George Best. Yes, George Best played seven and eleven. Oh, that, that I, I, think I just saw two flashes there, and I, I got, I got, I got myself all confused there because I oh. saw the both numbers. I felt, yeah, like, I, I, I felt like it was Saturday night again. And they sort of because then because post best the number seven shirt became started to be considered more iconic. Yep. They then always said, "Oh, best was a seven as well," and he was. But I believe, but that was only I don't know less than half the time. Maybe, you know, fifty six percent of the time he was wearing the seven shirt. But he certainly wore eleven, I believe, just as much. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the ten years since uh, his sad mm. uh, passing, and they were talking about uh, Man United's most famous uh, number seven. There've been a few, haven't there? Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, I, I actually interviewed Best a couple of times as well. So it was a, a very interesting ex- experience. You meet him obviously in later life. And always what struck me, what struck me about two things really struck me about him was was one actually just how bright he was and how clever and how aware he was, um, and funny, frankly. But be also quite a shy bloke for all the thing about George Best with the, the glamorous blondes and all the rest of it. He seemed quite a shy guy by the time. I met him. And, how, how much did he have to drink by, by then? Was he, was he Actually, drinking? I must admit, I'm one of these annoying blokes who can at least say I had a drink with George Best. I literally did. But it, I was at a Manchester United, because I was working for the Manchester News at the time, I was at a Manchester United reception. I went up to him and said, uh, uh, slightly nervy, saying, could I, could I have a word? He said, stand here, be here, and I'll come back in 10 minutes. Yeah, I thought, well, that's me. He's, he's never coming back. But he did, maybe because he just wanted a drink. He swiped a white wine off a tray, and I swiped one as well and spent 10 minutes talking with him and Dennis Law was acting as his bodyguard it seemed that night and he was walking up pacing up and down in this suite smoking a cigarette while I sort of spoke to George Best I think I got in trouble for the interview though because my editor claimed it was a bit too gushing and didn't tell us anything apart from the fact that George Best had been quite good at football (laughs) which which he suggested that people already knew my level of questioning was along the lines of George what made you so great and I didn't how old old are you Bobby? About 24. Was, oh, I felt fantastic. It was, I, felt it, I felt it was impolite. Have you got it framed? Did, 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 did he get... Did, it was before the time of uh, mobile phones and the cameras. Did, did he get the picture? Oh, yeah, he did. There is a picture. There is a picture, yeah. You got it framed? You got it up on a wall? I've got to... I've, I haven't got it. I was having to say, it was a guy called John Super. I remember a good name for a photographer who took the picture. So I should, I should get a copy of that. Oh, for goodness sake, Bobby. Yeah. You, get yeah. it, you get it on there and you, you superimpose yeah. the, the signature from somewhere else and you, you <laughs> pretend that <laughs> yeah, 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 here's yeah. the man. You put, you put the uh, interview in the bottom right-hand corner and but there you go. You, you're away, aren't you? Yeah. For goodness I, will, sake. I, I did speak as well to, yeah, I mean, because obviously it divides opinion and it's always 
dubious trying to compare different eras, different players. There's certainly that you know guys who are now in their dare I say in their sixties or older will talk about watching George Best, and will and and many will still will, will insist he was uh, the best player they saw. W- won't we talk now, about can... Cristiano Ronaldo in the same way, you and I? Oh, I'm sure we will. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, and it, it's, I mean, of course, it's a, sometimes people say, "Oh, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo." Well, you know, we, you, you'd, you'd seen nothing. You know, you, we, we saw George Best, and obviously, there's a bit of rose-tinted glasses, I'm sure, about it. But I don't think there's any doubt that of that era, there was no one like Best in, in terms of a wing play, and he was an absolute genius. And you, you see, of course, only we only ever see the best bits really now. We only ever see the, the clips and the highlights, those glory goals. Did he track the, back? I don't think he was that famous for tracking back too much. <laughs> Although he was actually surprised, but he was because he wasn't very big. He was surprisingly strong and a decent tackler. Because he used to have some real thugs going for him then in like the sixties and seventies, like Chopper Harris at Chelsea, just trying to decapitate him. He, so he was he, he was good. He had to handle himself. He did Tommy Smith. He was, I think, he was the ugliest and the Liverpool boy. Yeah. He yeah, was the exactly. ugliest and thuggish, most thuggish uh, person. We're oh, going they, we're going down memory lane here, ladies then. and gentlemen. Yeah, they they certainly made them then. I mean, they'd have a cigarette at half time, and then you know exactly there was uh, there was some blokes who just like nineteen seventies gangsters essentially. Did playing we football. did did we ever have who was the most thuggish player ever to uh, you know put on a shirt for Manchester United? I mean, apart from Roy Keane. Yeah, well, Roy Roy would I'd, I'd have to say would be up there. Nobby Styles would certainly be considered to have been. Uh, yeah, he quite was up, he was up for the battle, even though he was a, a little one, wasn't he? Yeah, he was he was a he was a he was a hard nut. So I think he would he certainly would be considered considered one of them. I mean, someone who was a very, Norman Whiteside was. That, I was about to say him. I mean, he yeah. or, or or the other one who liked to uh, uh, drink. No, no, number uh, number five. Oh god, his name's just gone from my head. McGrath. McGrath, the the one who uh, Sir, Sir Alex had to get rid of. Yeah, he was a lovely player. Of course, another bloke who was a very very. If we were going to go on about who was the handy fighters of Manchester United, Remy Moses. Was I believe, I believe remember was, uh, Remy. he could look after himself very well. Yeah, and he, he and he, he did, along, didn't he? Yes, he did. I believe, unfortunately, he beat up one of our own players on the training ground once, which was considered not great for team morale. <laughs> <laughs> Tro- troubled times back then. Oh yeah, <laughs> you don't hear about those things, and you'd think that you know, with the modern day, the way it's going, you would have heard a, a lot more about that. It must be interesting conversations uh, in dressing rooms uh, and the like. Uh, in terms of uh, Manchester United and the current day team, though, the worry that I have is that it's not exciting, it's not exhilarating, yeah. it isn't the sort of thing that makes you want the next match to come along. I mean, you're no. watching it, and quite literally, you're petrified the whole bloody time. Yeah, it is. It's I, I think... I mean, people, I think I've stressed before, I think when Ferguson first became manager, we were a pretty ugly team during the early part of his tenure as well. So to, get, to be fair to Van Hull, having been there since sort of the summer of 2014, do we need to be more grown up about it and say, look, he's torn the team apart. He's building it again. Yes, it's a bit boring at the minute, but he's, he's stopping us from losing, in theory at least. And and he's given more time. He's going to have that the finished article up front. Or should should we stay with that? Because at the at the moment it's very hard to be enthused by. It. And then he does things like, and frankly, the young lad James Wilson going out on loan, another young, yeah, United forward. It just seems it just doesn't seem to have faith in players. It might might not be the finished article, but who could potentially do a great job for us. I'd have to say I'd put Hernandez in that bracket as well. I don't think I think it was alarming how he deteriorated 
in those last 18 months. I have to say that Manchester United have to take some of the blame for that. And I would also I'd also argue even Van Hull shipping off Danny Welbeck used to drive us mad again as a pacey player was very much a, a local Manchester lad I think given his head I think he could have been a useful squad player for us but Van Hull has swept all these players away yeah when you look at now, yeah, on, on his yeah, head be it yeah when you when you see Vardy work. when you see Vardy where he's come from the way he's playing the record that he broke against Manchester United of a Manchester United player you have to wonder whether or not he would have been given his head in quite the same way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it was interesting watching uh, Leicester because they, they play like a cup side. They play counter-attacking football. They play with speed and they all play for each other. Uh, all the things that you, you used to think of Manchester United for. Uh, and, and it's really yeah. interesting. You do get the feeling, you know, when he scored and they all came around, you get the feeling. But they almost scored too early because after they scored, I mean, that's kind of what mm. they were geared up to do, right? To get him to the record. Once he'd got to the record then what yeah they, they let they let us back in didn't they i mean they did have some of the other chances i mean again our goalkeeper did well for us i think but you're right they united came back obviously we got a goal at a good time as well didn't we on the right on half time schweinsteiger actually to say that's encouraging he's getting his scoring boots on at least you know but uh, i'd still even with that with our our midfield setup i just get a bit depressed when i see this schweinsteiger and carrick together starting matches we're going about them being pedestrian and they're hardly the they're hardly the sharpest you know quickest runners in the game at the best of times to start with both of them in some of these premiership matches does seem you know unnecessarily conservative to be honest i'd mm. rather i'd rather i wish yeah when you we've got some really mm. good ball players i think someone like herrera who again van hol just doesn't seem to particularly trust rightly or wrongly for me i'd like to see you know players like that given a chance particularly when we're playing I know Leicester are top presently, but certainly when we're playing sort of mid-table downward premiership opposition, do we really need to be playing two holding midfielders every week? Well, here's, here's the thing now, because I, I can't work it out. Uh, you know, we've got Leicester, who, who, who are up there. You certainly, if you're Tottenham or if you're Liverpool now, you'd, you'd think that this is your year, you're due a top yeah. four place. If you're Arsenal, you're worried because I don't think they won a match in the whole of November. If you're Chelsea, you think you're over your problems and yeah. it's now time to kick on. And they, even from where they are, should be quite hopeful of finishing top four. I think they'll finish top four. I really think they will. Well, how can they? How, how can Chelsea finish top four? Because right now they are, what, so admit they're, they're, they're 12 points behind the top four. Chelsea are quite, I'm just, I'm just I know we don't want to talk about Chelsea too much. I think the no, way we're, we're talking the about is, the thing in the, the way the season, it's, it's a, such a strange season. No one is offering that much consistency. If Chelsea, and, which, and they're quite capable of, you know, put a run together of five, six wins, they're right up there again, you know. And I know it's because they've been they've been pretty horrendous by their standards this season. But with, we know with the players they have and the squad they have, they are capable of that. So I know I wouldn't rule them out. I think it's still. I mean, this, this that's why sort of the moment, even though United are third and a point off the lead, you're still nervous and thinking, God, are we going to finish in the top four? You can't help it because it's all it's tight and it's unpredictable. And all the teams are you know, being bl- are bloody flaky presently. Okay, so let's do it then. I do yours and I do mine and I put okay. it in the safest place to be, which is my wallet, and I button it up. So, uh, Robert, that's your name, by the way, in case you yes. uh, had forgotten. Oh, I remember that. Uh, okay, yeah. not in order. I'm not going to hold you to that yeah. quite yet. Uh, but we'll look at this again in a month or so. Give me okay. a top four, mate. I'm going to say 
Manchester City, Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea. Man, shitty. Who else? Arsenal. Arsenal. United, Chelsea. God, but yeah. yeah. Don't like sort of willing Chelsea to have a recovery, but it's got a horrible feeling they might just. Well, Man, Uni- over the Man line. United, because I'm like that. Man City, because I'm like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Arsenal, because they always are. Yeah. Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah, Klopp. The, the Klopp factor. Yeah, I mean, he's still got... What I was looking at, he's still got... Coutinho wasn't on there, was he? Uh, Henderson, uh, he's still got a couple of good players to come back and he might go and buy uh, people in yeah. January and they clearly want to play for him. We still haven't seen the best of Milner. Uh, and no. I, I think the, um, he said that boy's got to learn to play, play through pain. Uh, I think he's talking right, about he basically da- called Daniel Sturridge. Sturridge a coward, essentially. Let's say things are sometimes lost in translation, but yeah. in, my, <laughs> in Hackney, that translated to... Man up, you big old wuss. That's what that, you're nippling a big girl's blouse. Man up, for goodness yeah. sake. Uh, so you've done your four. Uh, anybody listening to the podcast that wants to uh, play our little game, because we do this, yeah. and uh, yeah, it is Manchester United, but uh, no team is on Ireland. It has to fit in. Uh, it is known as the best team or the best premiership, uh, the best division, uh, the best league in in the world. And I wonder sometimes if it isn't known for that because nobody knows what's going to happen. And mm. It's not quite as good as maybe the Bundesliga or La Liga or whatever uh, because you have two teams there who you know one of those teams uh, is going to win. Real, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, you, could, you could do... You know what I mean? There are clubs mm. that are, are going to, to be up there in particular leagues. But with with this one here, if Tottenham don't finish top four this year, I think they will have a real look at themselves because they'll never finish top four. Yeah, they're looking they're looking good, aren't they? Presently, to be yeah, fair to yeah, them, they're yeah. a good good run of four. And having said about Chelsea, of course, I'm, I'm looking at the table and thinking, okay, that is quite some climb. But I still, I still, as I said, I'd argue that I still think with the, the quality they have. If they actually get their heads right, they're still a they're still a, a you know, deadly force. And so um yeah, it'd be interesting. But you say there's about right right now there are there's up to about eight teams who probably think they've got a chance of finishing that top four it's just so tight. Yeah, Southampton would think that, Leicester would definitely think that. And by the way, we've still got two tickets for the home game against West Ham at the weekend to give away in a competition for your chance to win. Sign up with Ladbrooks using the link on the description to the podcast. Enter promo code LA. D for Donkey 50 and all depositing customers will be entered into the draw. Hooray! For your chance to win, just email us at Ladbrooks, your Ladbrooks username, excuse me, to redcast at playbackmedia.co.uk. And of course, we'll be adding the details of this giveaway on our Facebook group, which you'll find in our app uh, or by following the link from unitedredcast.com. Listen, uh, you are the best. It's uh, my privilege to broadcast with you, Robert Meakin, and I want my money when this podcast is over. Until next... That's what that was about. Yeah. It was about money. I was wondering where that compliment was coming from. <laughs> Until uh, <laughs> uh, next time from you, Robert Meakin. Come on, you Reds. Come on, you Reds. This is a Playback Media production served to you in association with Why Not Think People. Sports Social Podcast Network.